Welcome to another week of Backlash Podcast. And for folks in the southern Wisconsin, it's uh, it's almost go time. I and mean, we're literally, I think, I think this is if my if my math is correct, we're three days away when this one comes out from the Southern Wisconsin opener. It's as early as it can be. May first is the opener this year, and it it can't honestly get any earlier than that because it's always the first Saturday in May, and that happens to be May first. Conversely, I actually believe that the southern or the northern opener is probably almost as late as it can be. I mean, literally, it's like the very end of the month, so it's uh, you know a little bit different there. So if you're listening and, and you're in the north, and once you make a trip south, you don't have to go too far in a lot of cases to find water that's considered south. And this week we're going to have Jeff Hansen with Madison Muskie Guide Service on and the uh, topic is specifically that kind of how to how to approach your opening weekend to the muskie season in the south. And I'm sure Brad will probably try to get some Minnesota guys on when Minnesota season's ready to open up. We'll probably hook up with another northern Wisconsin person when uh, northern Wisconsin season's ready to get rolling. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the gig, right, Jeff? I mean, it's kind of uh, that time of the year. We're going to start diving into some actual fish catches again instead of uh, just rambling about online shows and sales and all the other garbage that happens in, <laughs> in the off-season. But, you know, ultimately, it's exciting. I mean, here we are. We're right on the verge of uh, a new musky season in the upper Midwest anyway. Yeah, that's a fact. I mean, it's... Uh... Oh, this the off season was obviously different, Brad, and it's great now to be uh, like you said, getting guys on and you know getting excited about musky season. It's not, uh, it's no longer the off season in most in a lot of cases, and in it's going to be even less cases here in the next month. So I mean, we're ready to go. It's about go time. We're going to finally get to hear about you know fish catches and fish reports and and everything that's actually going on on the water as opposed to you know just us talking generally about whatever this way we can kind of talk about what's actually happening out there right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a fun time of the year, right? I know, I know there's a ton of people out there super excited about the new season upon us. So yeah, I, I think, um, I'm just as anxious. I can tell you, you know, my little Iowa trip definitely made me kind of, uh, it was a good thing, but man, I'll tell you what, Jeff, it just makes me feel like, man, it's going to take forever for the our season here in, in my neck of the woods to open. <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of been, uh, been a little bit weird. It kind of reminds me of taking an early winter vacation to the south where you go and you enjoy a bunch of warmth and whatever when we first start getting cold up here in the north area. And then it just makes the winter drag out longer. And I think that's the exact same thing that happened to me by getting out and doing a little bit of early season musky fishing. Now it's going to like drag this whole thing out to, to our opener. Yeah, because when is well, you guys are like the first Saturday in June, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Sure. Uh, to pay a couple bills around here, we're going to talk about our sponsors. All right, that's <laughs> that's the end of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you uh, if you need gear for the upcoming season, we always ask that you consider Team Rhino Outdoors. www.teamrhinooutdoors.com we are uh, your source for musky gear, especially if you're looking for custom gear that not everybody has, whether it be custom gear from big bait manufacturers like Musky Mayhem Tackle, Musky Innovations, uh, who are some of the other big ones, Drifter Tackle, you know, those types of guys, Spanky Baits, I'm sure I'm missing a bunch, to some of the smaller guys, you know, the Smitty Baits, the uh, 
uh, hot tail gliders, the Narcan gliders, all that kind of different stuff. We carry all of that stuff and we carry lots of stock colors, but custom gig was kind of always our deal. So if you need musky baits, consider Team Rhino Outdoors. That'd be www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. And now I'll let Brad talk a little bit about musky mayhem tackle because we always appreciate it if you support musky mayhem tackle as well. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. You know, you kind of threw me there for a loop. I'm like, uh, when did these sponsors get on board? I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah, they did. But, <laughs> they they but, haven't. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. So, you know, we're Musky Man Tackle. We're the uh, proud original flash remove bucktails, non-bucktail, if you will. And you can check us out on our website, muskymantackle.com. You can get in touch with us right off of that as well with uh, email as well as our phone number. But uh, feel free to go check out our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. So excited about a new year, and we appreciate all of our customers and looking forward to seeing some fish pictures kind of start rolling in. Yeah. So, Brad, quick story. You were cheating on us this weekend. You were hanging out with one of our competitors at a spring sale. And... (laughs) And it sounds like you uh, you got to meet a few people that actually listen to the podcast. So that's that's pretty cool. Like all three listeners must have showed up there at that show at that uh, sale, huh? Yeah, it was really cool, Jeff. Uh, There's a lot of people out there who came and thanked us, and basically just uh, you know they're super excited to to uh, listen to the podcast each week, and hopefully we continue to bring out some information. But it's always great news to hear people you know come up and talk to us and let us know how we're doing and i didn't hear one negative negative thing jeff it's kind of remarkable yeah they just talk about us behind our backs i'm sure there's got to be some negative <laughs> uh, the funny part is jeff is uh, i had a couple that that jumped in there and they said yeah every wednesday night it's our date night um this is what we do is a date night and i'm like Man, you poor people, you need to get out more. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No doubt about that. Uh, but we, I mean, we've, we've said it before, we'll say it again. We always just want to thank our listeners for spending some time with us. Uh, whether it be, I mean, some of our, we don't have A plus episodes every single week. We try to do the best that we can in addition to, you know, running the two businesses that we just talked about previously. So we just want to thank all of our, all of our loyal listeners. There's, there's more than three. I think it's closer to seven, but uh, we want to thank all of you. And, um, you know, hopefully we can continue to bring you a bunch of good content this season. And, uh, you know, as per usual, every Wednesday morning, we got a new episode for you. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that there nothing changes this year. We can continue rolling, Brad. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. You know, it, it's a blast. And, and when people come up to you at these shows or, different gigs or we hear from them and emails and what have you it does make it all worth it that's for sure yeah and you know speaking of that i mean you know brad and i we talk about it enough we don't have any sponsors so the only thing we get from this is if you uh if you elect to make a purchase from our two businesses that's how uh that's how we make any money off of this or any any reward off of this and we do it basically for the love of the game essentially brad i mean we love talking to different people and i've you know, just some of the cool people we've talked to over the past, I don't know how long we've been doing this, almost two years, you know, just some of those guys that we get to talk to, some of the legends, the different guys, even the younger anglers that offer a different perspective on, on fishing. I mean, I take a lot away, I take a lot away from this as well. It's not just, uh, it's not just for the listeners. I mean, I 
jot notes down of different things I should try out. It doesn't always work out, and I don't always have as much time on the water as I want to try everything. But it's uh, it's still a learning experience even for me, and it's just uh, it's been a fun ride. And you know, like I said, we just want to thank our customers, thank everybody for supporting us, and thanks everybody for listening. Absolutely, Jeff. Well, Brad, I don't have much else to add to it. Hopefully, we have uh, some stories from me and you catching fish and getting out on the water firsthand here. I know you had your little Iowa trip, and that was cool, and hopefully we'll have some firsthand stories of you and I getting back in the boat. But until then, it's uh, it's opening week for southern Wisconsin, and so let's get Jeff Hansen, Madison Muskie Guide Service, on the phone, and let's talk about what he expects to be going down for southern Wisconsin opener this weekend. Let's get after it. All right, our guest today is Jeff Hansen with Madison Muskie Guide Service. If you haven't already checked out episodes 89 and 90, we had Jeff as part of the guide panel back in December. Uh, really s- shorter content there. We had, I think we talked to like four different guides. And then we also, the last time we had a full episode with Jeff was episode 53, which has been, well, it's almost over, it's over a year ago. So we talked to him last spring. Jeff, thanks a lot for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us about some muskies today. Yeah, no problem. Glad, glad you guys had me back. Always happy to do it. So, Jeff, it's um, Southern Wisconsin opener is literally in like three days, I believe. And I'm sure your schedule is getting booked up for this season. But if anybody's looking to get in touch with you to book a guide trip, how do they go about doing that? Just MadisonMuskieGuide.com is my website and my email and phone number is on there along with Lots of pictures of big fish caught from the area. I know that uh, if anybody's out in southern Wisconsin, they're looking to learn the waters of southern Wisconsin, definitely look up Jeff. I mean, it's, there's probably few out there that are much better than what Jeff is. He's uh, he's definitely put a bunch of fish in the boat, and I'm sure he'll, if you're, if you're you know, somebody looking for a first-time muskie, I don't know, Jeff, how many first-time muskie anglers or, or people you get to catch their first muskies? How many last year? You normally keep track of that stuff, don't you? Um, yeah, I had uh, 28 musky virgins last year that caught their first musky with me, um, and that was the best that I've done in a year. Actually, the year before I had 27, last year I had 28. Um, so that was uh, pr- pr- pretty good. Yeah, I'd say trolling, casting, it doesn't seem to matter. Jeff can put it in the boat either way. So if you're uh, you know, if you're into the trolling gig, I'm sure Jeff can put you on some fish, and if you're if you're specifically into you know casting yeah jeff can get you get the job done there too if you haven't seen you know i guess some video proof of of what jeff can do check out our youtube channel team rhino outdoors on youtube uh, occasionally jeff's on too to do uh like tips and tactics sections that we do also and he's been uh, a pretty frequent contributor to our youtube channel jeff i don't know how many times you've been on there 10 maybe yeah i think it's like over that yeah 11 12 somewhere in there yeah absolutely so, Jeff, we're going to get started on our conversation today, and this is going to be about early season muskies because, well, the season is, you know, when this one comes out, you know, granted we're, uh, we're about a week away from, from the season now, a little over a week away, but by the time this one comes out, we'll be literally three days away from there. So I think we're going to talk primarily about what people should look for in the early season, specifically in, you know, southern Wisconsin, but this can pertain to pretty much any place early season you know when we get when we start heading up north here in uh, about a month we can you know kind of transition to that too potentially it just depends on water temperature obviously that's going to be a big factor in anybody's game and i'm assuming you know water temperature plays a big factor in what you're doing for early season doesn't it jeff 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we're way ahead of what we were last year. I mean, at this point right now, the fish in Madison will be done spawning this week. Most of them are, are done now. Whereas last year, they were still spawning almost into the second week of season last year. I mean, we had a really, really late season last year. And this year, we're, we're way ahead. I mean, we had early ice out. And uh, we had a lot of 70-degree way above normal temps and, and hardly any rain at all. So the lakes are a lot warmer right now, and the fish are a lot further along in their seasonal progression than what they um, have been actually the last couple of years. So and there's already more weed growth right now than there was last year on opening day by, by quite a bit. So it'll be a lot, lot different spring than last spring. Typically, Jeff, you know, with the spring, I mean, we're talking about a little bit earlier this year definitely going to make an advantage as far as the uh, the spawning fish being done with that whole program. But uh, what do you like in a spring that really kind of ties together with the rest of your season? Do you like that nice, mild, like, warm-up where it's just a general slow warm-up, or do you like something? I mean, I know over here in Minnesota, I'm sure it's the same in Wisconsin, Whenever we have these warm-ups and cool-down and warm-up and a cool-down, and it just makes things tough, and that fun gets kind of stretched out because of that. You guys have been really nice and even, it sounds like. Yeah, that's exactly what happened last year. I mean, the weather was up and down. I mean, it it actually snowed on me two days last year, the first week of season, and I've never in my life had that happen. And that just absolutely killed the fishing. Um, Like you were saying, the drastic up and downs just is really really hard on on fish and the fish just don't seem to set up in a pattern for very long i'd rather have slow steady stable weather seems to make the fishing a a lot better and a lot easier to catch them it definitely it seems as though you know when that takes place it kind of screws up the whole year it almost seems like yeah yeah last last year was uh a, a really a really difficult year. I mean, the fish didn't do a lot of things that they normally do. I don't know, with the spawn being so late and how cold it was early, and the weed growth was so minimal early, the fish just didn't set up in the weed beds early like they normally do, and it was a lot better suspended bite than it was early or shallow casting. Yeah, for sure. I, I know we've dealt with the same thing here. It'll be interesting. I mean, I know I'm a lot cooler than you are as far as uh, our temps generally are uh, quite a difference from Madison up to where I live. So I would say we're on the right track here, but we're not quite there yet for the spawning time. So we'll see how this all progresses here in Minnesota as well. Yeah, that's, I, I looked today and the water temps on the, one of the bigger lakes I guide on in Monona was 54, 55 today. And last year for opener, it was 48 degrees. So quite a bit of difference there. And we're, I mean, we're still over a week away from opener yet. So it'll, warm up a little a little bit yet so let's let's get to the nitty-gritty let's talk about this you know you, you start the season out um you kind of have an advantage in the southern part of wisconsin that you get to start earlier than the northern part of the state as well as over here in minnesota we're like oh we're usually a week after i believe your northern opener so when you uh when you have a spring kind of typically what we're seeing this year where it's been a nice even clean late, if you will, of, uh, of warm-up, your fish are done spawning. Are you targeting these on the weed beds? You kind of hinted towards that, but are you also doing some open water stuff? I'll do some open water stuff, too. Um, just depends on the weather. You know, if I get a cloudy, 
overcast, kind of crappier weather day, then the weed bite is generally really, really good. On those nice, bright, sunny days, generally the deeper stuff or open water is better. The, the water generally is pretty clear um, early, and if it's sunny out, those fish can just see so good that uh, they can be a tough, tough bite. So I'll fish the deeper stuff when it's sunny out. So, and it, I mean, with the weeds already coming up, I mean, there's some, I'll, I'll fish if I'm casting-wise, I'll find the, the deepest weed spots that I could find if it's sunny out. If it's cloudy, I'll, God, I'll fish right up against the bank or some of the shallowest weeds I can find, depending on what the how, how bright it is out. That makes sense. Are you guys dealing with zebra mussels over there as well, Jeff? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the uh, Madison chain has just got absolutely loaded with them. There was more last year than I've, I've ever seen. I mean, it's just, yeah, they're they're multiplying like crazy. It's made a huge difference. It's made our, our water a lot, lot clearer. So the weeds are getting set up uh, a lot deeper than what they ever used to because the sunlight penetrates so much further down. So we're getting weeds out of Monona and 16, 17 feet of water where there's never been weeds before. Yeah, I, I would say even on our clearer bodies of water here in the state of Minnesota anyway, <laughs> you you wouldn't think they'd get much clearer, but the zebra mussels have definitely made that a little bit more challenging as well. And and we're seeing kind of the same thing. I mean, you're you're almost seeing like a ten foot water depth change for weed growth. I mean, think about that. It's it's basically changed all of our weed lines, really. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, we got Eurasian milfoil so bad here, and that's just made that just absolutely take off like crazy. That's getting worse and worse here every year. That's wild. Jeff, you awake? I am. I'm just trying to think where we got to go with the next question. I'm trying to figure out how we... Uh, ex- right, let's go after a typical, you know, opening weekend type scenario. All right. So, Jeff, on a typical open opening weekend, you know, what kind of baits and stuff are you looking for? What uh, kind of like just send us through your game plan or maybe give guys a game plan on what they should consider doing for this opener? Um, well, this year... I mean, the water's going to be a lot warmer, so the fish will be chasing after faster-moving stuff. Uh, certainly probably a lot better. Unless drastic cold weather and the water temps drop. Um, I mean, last it was crazy cold that first week of season. Like I said, two of the days it snowed, and I had reels freezing up and islets freezing up on my poles, and I've never had that happen. The only way the first week last year on those days we could get fish to bite was working jerk baits really, really slow, you know, weighted sooks and then working baby squircles, letting the fish react to them, and this year doesn't look like it. They'll, they'll be hitting blades and faster-moving twitch baits right right off the bat. I mean, I'll still be throwing smaller baits just because I have always done better early on those. Um, I mean, blade-wise, I, I really like the single-bladed rabbit squirrels, um, the 5-inch the size, and later in the month I'll, I'll move up to the 8-inchers, but... Uh, the first couple of weeks of the season, I'll, I'll be using the smaller ones, and, and I definitely like the in the cooler water, the the single blade, and then fa- fast moving twitch baits too that I work aggressively and hard with the water being a little bit warmer. The Musky Train MF Shad is a, a wood bait that's really really uh, aggressive, crazy wobble, and um, you can get it doing a, a lot of different things. One nice thing about me is, I mean, I'll have three uh, me and I'll be guiding two other people, so I can have three different styles of baits going. 
and let the fish tell me what to do. Like the person in the front, I'll probably have throwing a, a rabbit squirrel or something similar to that and bringing in fast, making a lot of cast, covering a lot of water for the fishery after that, then um, certainly get a, a, a two or three of them going. Um, but, yeah, one, one day they want the blades. The next day they want the, the twitch bait like the MF Shad, the uh, um, those new five-inch slammers that were out for last year. That's another good twitch bait early. Those are real aggressive, too. Those, and sometimes the crazier, the better, just to get reaction strikes out of them. And then can't go wrong with the, the baby, baby squirko or the, the seven-inch weighted suic has been a really, really good producer for me um, early season. But the, the key with those small jerk baits is, is using a little bit lighter equipment. You need to be using like a 7.6 medium-heavy jerk bait rod. I just run into so many customers that are like, oh, I can't get those suics or baby squircos to work right. And I'm like, what are you throwing them on? And everybody's throwing them on eight-foot monster heavy or eight-foot extra heavy with great giant leaders, and you're just killing the action on those baits. You really got to be using um, John Betty for that own stealth tackle. Makes a really good spring leader, and it's just critical to be working those baby squircos or seven-inch suics or, or those small jerk baits on on that smaller, lighter stuff. So you get a lot more action out of your baits, and definitely get a, a lot more bites. One thing Brad likes to preach all the time is big in the spring. Is that something that you ever play around with, Jeff? Or are you pretty much dialed into your program, small work, so you're just going to stick with it? No, I'll I'll throw some some big stuff. I mean, if the water, if for some reason we get a bunch of rain and the water dirties up a little bit, th- then I'll go with some bigger stuff. I mean, you'll see me sometimes in May throwing some nine-inch suics, but uh, a lot of times I, I just catch a lot of fish on the on the smaller stuff. I mean, like that MF shad I was talking about, and that's really only a five-inch bait. Um, the baby squirrels are small. The five-inch rabbit squirrel. Um, I mean, I've caught a lot of big fish on that that small stuff, but I uh, just end up end up bringing it in pretty quick. Get reaction strikes out of those fish, unless the water's dirty water's dirty, then I'm not working stuff as fast. Or like I was saying last year with a really, really cold temps, when it's stuff slower no matter what. Yeah, I remember last year trying to film with you and, and just uh, how cold it was. I mean, I think I had my my stocking hat on more in May last year than I can ever remember before. So hopefully we don't see much of that because that's, like you said, that can make fishing miserable. Yeah, 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 that's, that's for sure. That slows the fish's metabolism down and, draws the spawn out and just the fish those, takes a lot longer for those bigger females to recoup and start uh, actively feeding. So last last spring was a lot of smaller males the first few weeks of season for sure when those big girls are still spawning yet. So Jeff, the one thing I know that you've done before is, you know, on opening weekend is sometimes you don't have any clients with you. So I know you'll kind of uh, play around. I, in fact, I know you do this all season long if you find yourself with a an off day or I know you've had clients quit early on you sometimes and you're like well the fish are going I'm just going to keep playing around and you try different stuff and I know you know trolling can be one of those things that you try is that something even with even with things being ahead this year is that something that you think would be either more or less productive for early season yeah I mean I don't think there's ever a bad time to troll I mean I firmly believe there's a lot of fish especially in this system here in Madison that I mean, the, they, they come in and spawn and go back out deep and never come in shallow again. Um, I, mean, I think there's a big population of fish in Madison that, I mean, there's no reason for them ever to stay shallow while they lay their eggs and go back out. And, and there's always tons of forage that are out in the middle of the lake, so they're always accessible trolling. And, and, I mean, I quite honestly think some of the biggest fish in our system are always out suspended. I mean, they're 
better than getting harassed by casters and boats and stuff all the time. So they just go out in the abyss and uh, have it easy without people bugging them and uh, just sit out there and get get fat in the suspended schools of bait. So and it said, like, I don't guide on opening day because it's always such a zoo. Actually, I don't even go out early in the morning because the boat launches are such a cluster. So I usually just take a, a friend of mine or a sponsor or something out. I mean, last year I fished with John Betty from Stealth Tackle, and we trolled and got a 44 and a half and a 32 incher opening day trolling. And uh, uh, I think we missed one or two other ones. But yeah, I mean, you, there's, to me, there's no wrong time to troll. I mean, I've caught fish from opening day to the last day of season. So um, trolling can always be, be productive. So it's primarily, I mean, how many lines can you run there, Jeff? Can you run more than one line per guy or no? Yeah, for Madison, it's three lines per person. Typically, the most I'll run, even if I have two other people in the boat with me, I won't run more than six because the floating weeds here, even early, um, the dying stuff from last year is floating all over. It's really, really hard to manage more than six rods with uh, all the floating grass and, and debris in the water all the time. Otherwise, you just end up with tangles and stuff like that, that and just make make a mess. So it's harder to run more than six lines. Are you running boards, or how are you uh, how are you running your setup? Yeah, typically I'm running two boards, one on each side. Um, if for some reason, sometimes during the middle of the week, you can get away with running two boards on each side if the weeds aren't too bad. I mean, if there's uh, like last year with COVID, nobody was working. There was boat traffic like I've never seen before and the weeds were chewed up every every day was like a Saturday so last year was almost impossible to do that so hopefully this year with a lot more people back to work the boating traffic isn't like what it was last year Um, but uh, yeah if the weeds are bad I'll run uh, four boat rods the long rod on each side and a down rod and then typically one board off off each side. Absolutely. I think the boards kind of become key too when uh, when you're dealing with the zebra mussels in the clearer water as well. It seems like uh, the boats are spooking more fish today. Yeah, definitely. That's especially with the clear water. I'd rather run two boards off each side if I can, but just sometimes the weeds are just so bad you just you just can't do it. But on those high sky days, I mean, definitely a lot higher percentage of your hits are going to come on boards. Do you do uh, much short line trolling as well, Jeff, or no? Um, yeah, certain times of the year I do. Just depends on on what what the fish are doing. Um, early it can be really tough just because the water's so clear and the fish shoot off to the sides. And and again, uh, um, stuff on your boards will, will get hit better. But later on in the season, when the fish are tighter to the weeds or weed edges, then then I'll do quite a bit of short line trolling. That's a lot of that's more August, September stuff. That makes sense. Um, one of the things that I think maybe you should bring up because uh, <laughs> I generally troll a little bit slower, and I know for a fact that you uh, there's a lot of times when you're pushing the envelope kind of on speed, in my opinion, but you get the job done doing it. So maybe you can kind of talk to everybody about that. One thing that I've really got into the last couple of years is, is trolling faster. Um, even in November or, or this time of year, um, even in the low 50 degree water temps, I mean, very rarely am I going under three and a half miles an hour. I mean, even in November, I was trolling three and a half miles an hour. I just got way more 
I cover a lot more water and just seem to get a lot more hits. The water's the only time I'm slowing down is if the water is really, really dirty. If it's clear, I'll even go four two, four three. I mean last year the fish we got opening day I was going four point two, four point three miles an hour. Water that was under fifty degrees and that's what it took to get those those fish to bite. A lot of times in that clear water it's speed what what gets them to bite. Um, same with the casting presentations. I mean sometimes the faster that you could bring them those rabbit squirrels in or some of the other twitch baits, the faster you're bringing them, the more strikes you're getting out of them. So, but yeah, I got got no problem trolling over four. I mean, yeah, I even got fish last year going 4.5 miles an hour. Um, I know Jeff came down here last fall and was texting me and was, was struggling, and I couldn't figure out what he, what he was was doing. And then he told me what the, what his speed was, and I told him to speed up, and he's like, "Are you kidding me?" And I'm like, "No, speed up." And and a half hour later, I got a, a picture with his uh, kid holding the fish. So it, uh, that speed definitely, um, you'll pick up more fish. That's funny that you bring that story up because that was the exact one I was thinking of when you were talking about how you were three and a half miles an hour even late into the fall, and I was like, that was the exact same one because I mean I was I was slower, you know, I was in that like right around that three three point one, maybe even you know two point eight to three point one somewhere in there. And you're like, no, 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 dial that stuff up. And I was like, like you said in the story, I, mean, I was like, you're nuts. And sure enough, didn't take long. It's uh, it's crazy how that'll work. I mean, in that colder water, those fish will still chase that stuff down. Yep. Yeah, it's more of a reaction strike. And uh, you're definitely covering a lot more miles of water in a day. Even, I mean, half a mile an hour more, you're doing a couple more miles of water coverage a day doing that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, like I said, Jeff, the one thing I find about the Madison fishery where you're, where you're primarily doing most of your fishing is just how how incredible that fishery really is. I've said it before that I think, you know, everybody's talking about Green Bay, and obviously Green Bay is a great fishery, and, you know, nothing really rivals it for the size that you can get out of Green Bay, but I think that you could make a really good case for, for the Madison chain area to be probably the second best fishery in the state, especially if you're looking for you know, a combination of size and numbers, I think it probably could be the best. You don't have that, in my opinion, you don't have that chance at that upper, you know, that 55, 56, I'm assuming, right? What do you think the Madison fish are right now? The best you could probably do is, what, 52, 53, somewhere in there? Yeah, you'd be, I only know of, I had one, I had a 15-year-old kid get a 52 with me last year, um, but I, I mean, I only had two 50s in the boat all year, and I mean, I've fished over 200 days. So they're they're few and far between. I mean, I think total, I heard of maybe 12, 14 fish over 50. There's a 53 and a quarter caught last year, which was the biggest that's ever been caught. But we, we have a lot of numbers. I mean, there's a lot of, a, a good percentage of fish that are 37 to 45 inches long. We have we have some good-sized fish. And the, there's, we, the Muskie Club's been stocking a lot of uh, the Leech Lake strain fish. That's what a lot of these high-end fish have been. Um the 52 I had the client get last year was a leech laker. The guy that got that 53 and a quarter, that was a leech laker. Um, I, I have had a couple 52-inch Wisconsin stream fish in the boat, but those are, are few and far between. Um, I had a 15 three-quarter inch Wisconsin stream fish last year. But, um, yeah, just, just not a lot of 50s, but, yeah, it's def- definitely a quality fishery. But we have, I mean, a lot of pressure. I mean, it's probably, yeah, Green Bay's busy too, but, the pressure in Madison, especially last year, was nothing like I've ever seen. Fish are getting hit 24 hours a day, so he's got to adapt and do do different things and, and still catch a lot of fish. But, yeah, the, the stocking here has been great. Hopefully this year they 
can um, increase the numbers a little bit. Last year with COVID, we were only able to stock about half of the fish that we normally did. So let's talk a little bit about that, Jeff, and that Madison chain. Do you guys normally stock that one in the spring, or do you guys normally do a fall stocking on that on that chain? Uh, try and do a fall stocking so the fish can uh, get as big as they can. We had been trying to buy wintered over fish from the was it the Minnesota muskie farm, and they just they just haven't had a lot of fish because um, you get a lot more bang for your buck if, if you can get year year old fish that have been wintered over. And then, yeah, those those would end up being stocked in the spring and, I mean, would be 14, 15, 16 inches long if possible. would be, be really nice, but that's, they haven't been a, we've been trying to buy them, but the, the Cap City chapter just has not been able to, to get them. We've been having to buy some fish for some other places, too, and then wait until November to stock them so they're at least 11, 12, 13 inches long, and there's a lot higher survivability. Sure. And... Um... The DNR continues to put muskies in on top of the club. Is that also correct? Yep, yeah, both both are. But they're typically stocking more fingerlings than than the bigger ones, from from what I know. So the survivability on those isn't isn't as good. Sure. And if a listener is in southern Wisconsin, or they fish that? I mean, what's the best way for them to get involved in that fishery and that and help out the Madison muskie population? What's the best way for them to get involved? Uh, to to join up Muskie's Inc., definitely the capital city uh, chapter of Muskie's Inc. And I've been a member since 1993. They've just done just incredible things for this fishery here. Pushed through to get a 15-inch size limit here, and most of the money that's going for stocking has come from fundraisers of the capital city chapter. And um, Jeff, yeah, you at Team Rhino, you've been a huge help too the last couple of years. Donated and helped. I think yeah, last year your donation bought another 47 muskies. And then you did it again this year, so that'll buy another 47 muskies. So that uh, really helps, too. So, yeah, thanks. But here appreciates that. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, we're glad to help out. I, I would love it if we were able to get back and doing that fundraiser that you guys normally do, that muskie school in the spring. I know you're always a big part of that, and you're always pushing for that. It'd be nice if, uh, I guess we'll put things normal again. I'll put normal in air quotes, you know, like what, I don't even know what normal is anymore, but it'd be nice if they did so we could, you know, do the, do these in-person events so you could get that, uh, we could push that stocking even further down there in Madison. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, it's been two years in a row that that Muskie School's missed, and that's one of the biggest fundraisers for the, for the club. And, and if people don't want to join Muskie's Inc. or be a part of that, I mean, they could, make a donation to the Capital City Chapter of Muskie's Inc. and just write donation on their check, um, and that would help the fishery out. We have absolutely zero natural reproduction here. Everything is stocked. Uh, most all of southern Wisconsin is that way. So if you, you fish here, and if you, even if you don't want to join the club, if you want to help out, I mean, that's a certain, certainly um, more, more fish the merrier. The more, and what, like with COVID, it's just none of the fundraisers or can't have any of our meetings. So the, the club's definitely hurting for, for money-wise for, for stocking just because the fundraisers just can't happen with COVID. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't want to go too far down the stocking list. We we did a pretty good rant on stocking last week, but I just, I'd like to bring it up because, you know, I liked what you said there, how, you know, you don't have, you have almost zero natural reproduction there in the, you know, Madison area lake. So how, how important it is that we not only stock fish, but obviously, you know, that we preserve these fish. I mean, I know every single year you're off for, I don't know, at least two, three weeks, probably you actually even plan in your schedule not to be fishing just because the water temperatures are going to be too high. I know, um, I mean, shoot, how much did you miss last year? Was it probably almost a month? 
Yeah, it was over over three weeks, the biggest hit I've ever had. I mean, I normally book trips through July 14th, and then I don't book anymore until the first week of August, typically because the water's too hot then. But last year, I just shut her down on July 3rd. Actually, I had a full-day trip booked that day, and um, I had told my customers the day before, I said, it's supposed to be 95, so we're going to have to cut, make the trip a half a day. And they were totally cool with it. Most people understand and once you tell them that if we catch fish in over 80-degree water temps, they could die from it. Most people are, are, are pretty good about it. So that last trip I did, I started at 4 o'clock in the morning, and by 8.30 it was starting to get to 80 degrees. And I called it quits that day and had to call my next two weeks' worth of trips and reschedule people to the fall. So, yeah, it uh, was, was tough last year. So hopefully we don't get that hot hot weather. Yeah, and if I remember right, Jeff, you were on a heck of a bite right before that stretch too. Oh yeah, yeah. I was that was when I got that fifty-two and a bunch out there. That last two weeks of June, I put a lot of very large fish in the boat. It killed me to stop fishing, but that's that's what you got to do to preserve the fishery. So Jeff, why don't you share a little bit with the listeners about how you utilize your electronics? And I know you know the Madison Chain is a little bit different body of water where you're dealing with such thick weeds, and I know side imaging isn't necessarily the key in those thick, thick weeds. So when are you using your site imaging or other electronics and when are you not? And I think there's a misconception that if you don't have these electronics, you can't catch muskies. And that's, that's not part of the equation. You know, you can still fish. You need to put time in on the water, baits in the water and to be able to utilize and catch fish. Oh yeah. That's when, when I first started musky fishing, um, actually the, the first boat I had, I mean, I don't even think I, I didn't have a locator on it for the first year I fished, and I caught a lot of muskies. I mean, I was back in the late 80s. But, uh, yeah, I mean, people get so hung up on their electronics. I mean, I'll see a lot of people in that mess around more with their electronics than they are our casting. And like you said, the Madison chain is so weedy all the time. When I'm casting, very, very rarely do I ever have my side imaging on. I'm just using my electronics for depth seeing how tall the weeds are, how thick the weeds are. But, I, I mean, I don't have the side imaging on. And then for, for temperature-wise, too, which um, we should have maybe talked about before, a lot of times I'll try and find the, the warmest water in May that I could find. Um, definitely end up with um, – I mean, that, that's one real important thing is your temperature gauge. I mean, I probably look at that more on my locator than anything else, especially in the spring, because one side of the lake can be three, four, even five degrees different then the other side of the lake, I mean, wherever the wind's been blowing into, generally has the, the, the warmest water. So, I mean, definitely pay attention to where the wind was blowing out of the day before. I know I kind of got away from the electronic stuff a little bit, but, yeah, the, the temperature-wise is, is real, real important. That's probably your most important thing on your locator, particularly in the spring. Again, then again in the fall, I'll look for a little bit warmer water in the fall, too, in the lake. That can make a, a huge difference in, in what the fish are doing. As far as for side imaging, I'm mainly using that if I'm trolling out deeper. I mean, if I'm short line trolling, again, I'm going to have so many weeds around that I don't need it because you can't really pick up the fish in, in that milfoil. But open water trolling, I will have that side imaging on all, all the time. I mean, the first year that I had it, I didn't use it enough. And the last bunch of years, particularly last year, I, I, I caught fish trolling because of it. There's a lot of times, especially on flat calm days, a lot of the bait will be sky high. And you can drive over the top of it with your boat and, and, and not see anything on your, your down imaging, but then you're seeing huge pods of uh, or schools of fish in your side imaging. 
and then seeing um, big big fish in and around it that you wouldn't have seen if you didn't have the side imaging. It just gives you the, the confidence to keep trolling over that deep open water because you know no fish are there that you wouldn't have otherwise seen on your side imaging. But but casting wise, I don't ever even have it on here. You know, the the wild part of this whole thing, Jeff, is I think a lot of times people get so hung up that they need the latest technology. And in a lot of cases, it's not even uh, part of the equation. And so for everybody out there that's listening, I mean, don't necessarily get hung up on that. I mean, you've got to go out and baits in the water definitely are the largest piece to this puzzle, if you will. I mean, time in the water, baits in the water, that's what gets the job done around with electronics i mean electronics are definitely a key in certain instances but it's not a necessity to catch fish that's i agree with that 100 percent. well i told you brad the playing around with electronics last year was the one thing i didn't like about the panoptic stuff is i just didn't like how all i was doing is playing around with different stuff and i'm sure once you get it dialed in and you know what you're looking at and all this other stuff you can concentrate more on your casting but ultimately i just couldn't I just spent, I just felt like I was wasting time just fiddling around with stuff all the time, and that's not productive either. Well, that, that's my one problem with the uh, the live side of things, okay? So when you're talking pan optics, you're talking live. And unfortunately, when that screen is live, you have no history to go back and look at. So you're continually having to monitor that screen, and that's what you're talking about, Jeff. I mean, it's kind of frustrating in a sense. Yeah, it was. I just, uh, like I said, I just spent too much time playing around with it and trying to figure it out. And I mean, you know, for me, I mean, Brad, I'm essentially a weekend warrior guy. Like when I, when I'm out fishing, it's weekends or limited time or, you know, a day here, a day there. Obviously sometimes later in the fall, it gets a little more, it gets easier to get out on the water. I've, you know, we're not quite as busy selling lures and stuff, but you know, at the same time, I just, I just felt like I'm just playing around with too much stuff. Jeff, I'm assuming the answer is no, but have you played around with any of that panoptics yet? No, no, I haven't. I actually had a couple people last year ask if uh, I want, they I wanted to see it or if they wanted to bring it and try it out. I just told them to leave it at home because that's I mean you end up screwing around with that more than you do casting. And as I said, the more hours that your lure is in the water, the more fish you're going to catch. So, Jeff, another part to the equation, I guess, is uh, the potential of night fishing. And I'm curious, are you uh, incorporating some of that in your normal grind as far as uh, the month of uh, May? Yeah, definitely. I, I end up starting my trips in the dark versus ending them in the, trip in the dark, especially last year with, like I was talking about with the, the COVID stuff, there's just so many people on the water. Um, the afternoons and evenings, the fish are just getting powered and there's boats everywhere. So I just started starting earlier, and I'd start start in the dark. And, I mean, I've I've done that for years. I mean, when I was younger and dumber, I used to start opening day. I'd fish it, start at midnight. You know, I don't do that anymore, but we always caught fish. I've done well on uh, slow-moving topwater, particularly like a regular-sized hog wilder is a really, really good one early season. Um, that's the one that few guys even use anymore. Small creepers are really, really good. In, in the dark and early season, even if the water temps are 50 degrees, I've caught fish on that top water early. And then uh, bucktails after dark, again, that uh, single-bladed rabbit squirrel, either uh, black and smoke or uh, black with a nickel blade or black with a gold blade can be good too. But just not burning it like you are during the day, just slow rolling it 
over the top of the weeds. And another really, really good one for me after dark is the uh, uh, Muskie Train Diesel. And I'm just straight cranking that one. During the day, if I'm working them, um, I'm ripping and twitching them. But after dark, just slow cranking them and trying to make contact with any of the emerging weeds, ticking the tops of the weeds, fishing rocks or reefs after dark. Um, like last year, a lot of the rocks and, and reefs here uh, didn't have weeds on them yet, so you could go bang rocks with those little diesels and those things run with the lip down so that I mean, it hung up, but also that lip's banging and grinding on those rocks and, um, and really end up triggering a lot of strikes. Um, those have been really, really productive, um, even in the springtime, uh, night fishing. It's definitely um, a very productive way to get uh, fish to bite, especially with how clear the water's been lately. Um, well, those fish are really biting the dark in that cold water, too. So your typical day, Jeff, you're talking, you're, you're saying around 4, 4.30 in the morning, um, and sunrise would be what, 6, 6.30, something like that? Um, yeah, it's, it's light enough by 5.30, quarter to 6, so somewhere in there to see pretty good. So I'm generally fishing for, I don't know, I try and fish for about an hour in the dark. I mean, if it's going to be uh, those days last year that it was going to snow, I didn't start till those days. It, the, the night bite can be pretty tough because it, when it takes slow moving jerk baits to get fish to bite, it, the, the night bite generally isn't there. But if you've got stable weather, definitely I'll be starting early, earlier. Um, if I'm out later in the day fishing two, three hours after dark to get those fish to bite. I think one of the neat things, you know, you're talking about some really, really pressured waters. And I, I hear anglers all the time talking, well, our water's so pressured. So what are the things that you do to maybe overcome some of that? And it sounds like one of the things is that early a.m. period. Yeah, that and those spots that uh, others aren't hitting as hard. Or the biggest thing or the biggest mistake that I see people making is they'll get in lines going down these weed beds, one right after another, right on the same exact track. I mean, some of these guys have these tracks set on their locators and just hit go and they, their boat follows the contours exactly perfect the next boat behind them does the same exact thing when i'm seeing that i'm either going to go a cast inside of those guys or a cast outside of those guys don't get in the line and follow right behind boats that's the biggest mistake you can make because those fish are already getting pounded um, typically early for me later in the season i'll usually always take the, the deeper route but early i'll take the shallower route and even go way 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 up into the weeds and, and, and fish the, the thicker stuff. Um, one other lure that we didn't talk about, like when I'm tucking up tight like that early, is the Johnson Silver Minnow or a Dr. Weedless Spoon. Those are absolutely fantastic in the spring. May is one of the, the months of the year that I use those. If I get a bad cold front later in the year, I'll use them, but May I'll have fish caught on those every single year, and it's, it's uh, something on these pressured lakes that not very many people use. I've had many, many clients chuckle when I pull them out of the tackle box. Um, but I've had a lot of 40 to 45-inch fish, um, and some 46 and 47s got on them, too, just something that the fish aren't used to seeing. And when they're in that, that thick crap, there's uh, nothing better that goes through them than those. Um, and some, some smaller spinner baits too. So generally, like if I'm cutting inside of the line of people that are fishing, I'll either have somebody throwing a um, small ace tandem or one of those small spoons, and then the people that are throwing out over the, the other weeds will either be throwing like a rabbit squirrel or some kind of jerk or twitch bait. But just not following in the exact lines of what other boats are doing is, is the biggest key. 
I think that's uh, that's really good info because I don't know what it is, but you know sometimes I think other boats are magnets for other fishermen. You got to quit fishing the fishermen and start fishing the fish. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, that's that's exactly. Usually on normal years during the week, I get to have my choice of any spots that I wanted to fish in the lake, or especially early in the morning. But last year wasn't that way because with COVID, nobody was working, so every day was like a Saturday. So. And I'd fish my secondary spots or some of my stuff that I don't fish very often, but it's, I was hitting spots that have less fish on them, but they weren't seeing baits every 15 minutes, so a lot more of those fish were biting. So I was staying away from a lot of the more popular spots and hitting a lot of out-of-the-way stuff, just fishing fish that weren't getting casted at every minute. You know, I think that's one of those good things that you, I mean, that wasn't even a tip there, Jeff, but like something that, you know, people can go out and show us or, or it shows other people is, you can go find other spots if all these other spots are getting pressured. I mean, you. I mean, I would say maybe next to Green Bay, I think the Madison chain is either on par or more pressured than Green Bay, and it obviously certainly depends on the time of year. I mean, if you're musky fishing mid-July in Green Bay, there's not a ton of pressure. Late June, not a lot of pressure. But if you're fishing it, you know, during late July, August, September, obviously it's pressured like crazy, and then opening weekend it is too, so... You know, to go out there and find those off-the-beaten-path spots that you're talking about is, I mean, that's a good tip in itself, as I think a lot of people get hung up on fishing the old same stuff, and even if there's pressure there and they're having, a le- you know, less success, maybe it's time to go find a few different spots to fish. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, no no sense beating the dead horse. I mean, if you're not seeing fish, then try other spots. I mean, that's... There's no, no, I mean, people always ask, should I try new spots every day? I mean, yeah, why, why not? I mean, if you don't fish here very often, I mean, at least every day, make one pass on something you've never fished before. I mean, there's no structure in, in anywhere in the Madison chain that I haven't fished. So, I mean, I, I know it so well, but I just know spots that will have fish that other people aren't even touching. How big is that water, Jeff? I don't even... I don't remember what kind of acreage we're talking about over there. Well, there's four main lakes that I'm uh, fishing on the Madison Chain. Monona, I mean, that's like 3,600 acres. Uh, Wabisa's like 2,500 acres. Then uh, two smaller lakes, Mud Lake's like 300-some acres, and Wingro's like 364 acres, something like that. So there are two smaller lakes, a medium-sized lake, and a, and a, a big lake, or not big, but... 36, 3,700 acres. So, yeah, 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 Monona's a pretty decent sized lake and can get rough if it's really windy out. All right, Jeff, well, we just want to thank you for coming out, talking uh, early season muskies, primarily in the uh, southern Wisconsin region. But like I said, if uh, water temperatures hold out in the north, I mean, this stuff can definitely be applied in many different places that you're going to chase muskies. And so we just want to thank you for coming out. I hope that you have a great season. I know I get to be in your boat a few times this year, as per usual. And you know, typically with us, it's either it's either boom or bust, Jeff. We either put three or four to ten in the net, or we put zero in the net. Oddly, but uh, and, and and especially because you tell me that your skunk rate is actually fairly low. So it's either like I bring really really good luck that day, or I bring really really bad luck that day. I guess. Yeah, like our spring one last year where I hadn't hardly lost any fish, and then we hook up with six fish, lose five of them, and then catch an 18-incher. That was just <laughs> the way yep. it goes sometimes. Yep. And, then, and the whole time it's, uh, I don't know, a high of what, like 
probably like 38 degrees, 39 degrees. It was terrible. Winter hats on the whole day. Yep. Winter hats, jackets. I think I might have had bibs on. It was, it's fun. Yeah. But I guess that's musky fishing. Every year is a different challenge. And then we've also had the trips where I'm in there with early June with you and we're, you know, sweating like crazy too. So, I mean, it's, uh, it can, it can swing both ways really fast. That is obviously Midwestern weather. But, uh, Jeff, for anybody who's looking to get in touch with you again, how do they go about booking a trip? Uh, just go to my website, madisonmuskyguide.com is the best way to get a hold of you. A hold of me, like I said, my num- phone number and email address is on there, along with all info regarding trips and prices and all that's all on my website. And I'm assuming you do have some availability for this season yet? Um, yeah, I have uh, two days left in May and two days, no, one day left in June, and then i got plenty of days left in the August, September, October yet. People usually don't start calling for that until june i mean i got some days booked in september october but um definitely need to get a hold of me at least at least a month ahead of time um if you want saturdays or sundays get a hold of me at least two months ahead of time yeah that's what i was gonna just mention there if you didn't do it already don't be calling jeff and asking him if he's available on wednesday if it's a tuesday or a monday because there's a very good chance that's not the case unless he had by some chance, he had a cancellation, like a short notice cancellation, then maybe. But otherwise, Jeff books up pretty quick. I mean, usually when I'm, you know, when Jeff and I are planning to fish, it's, uh, I don't know, January, February, March when we, we get our dates done. So anyways, Jeff, I, uh, I hope you have a great season. I hope that uh, we have a couple of great trips, you know, coming up this year. I know I'm going to bring, I think my, in June, I'm with you. I'm going to bring my daughter down to go. I think we're going trolling in June, so we're going to. Depending upon obviously the bite, if the bite's solid casting, maybe we'll be doing that. But it'd be nice to get her on a couple of, a couple of nice trolling fish. So, anyways, we uh, I hope you have a great opening weekend. I'm sure we'll be in touch. And uh, you know, thanks again for coming out. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great talking to both you guys. It was weird not seeing you guys at the shows this year, but uh, hopefully uh, next winter. And yeah, hope you guys have a great early season too. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thank, Thank you, Jeff. Yep. Thanks. Bye.